Thank you for tuning in. Want to hear the straight talk about what matters and the conversations happening in real time with women in AEC? You're not going to want to miss this. Our guest is Bryce Batts, a career coach and recruiter focused on serving women in AEC, and she's both in the know and relatable. I've already re-listened to this episode multiple times and still not sure about how much we discuss is great insight versus legitimate validation of so much of what is being talked about. Either way, you'll likely be taking several pages of notes and want to start immediately having better and more frequent conversations with and about how best to recruit and retain women in particular and talent overall. The days of being unsure about what top talent is seeking and what it takes to attract, engage, and retain them and relying on assumption, speculation, ignorance, or hope are over. At least they are for firms now able to grow and prosper through these times of great change. Listen in as we talk specifically about what's causing AEC women to change jobs, what firms are doing in order to land them, what current employers can do to better retain the talent they have, the power of networks, the need for more conversations and for greater transparency, and why at the end of the day, words only go so far, and why it's time to take more and better action. So without any further delay, let's do it. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Bryce Batts, certified career coach and recruiter, and we'll be talking about attracting, engaging, and retaining professional women in AEC. Welcome to the podcast, Bryce. Thanks, Peter. Excited to be here. Appreciate you having me on. I'm excited too. It's great to see you. It's great to speak with you again. You as well. As we begin, um, can you just share a little bit about you, your career um, and background, and what brought you to where you are today as a career coach and recruiter focused on helping women succeed in AEC? Yeah, so um, I've been recruiting for 13 years. I did the math recently and I've placed over 500 people in new jobs. So that was exciting <laughs> when I added it all up. Um, and then I got certified as a career coach last year. Like many people in 2020, I was reflecting on like, what do I want to do next? Um, so it's exciting. You know, I don't think anyone goes to school and thinks, well, you know what I want to do is be a recruiter one day. But I just kind of fell into it. I was doing my MBA in South Florida and, and met a girl um, who was recruiting for the AEC industry. My husband's a landscape architect, went to school for that, still in the industry as well. And so I said, yeah, I'll give it a try. And, and I'm still here. <laughs> so what, when you were, so 
through the the early stages or a couple of years ago, as we're going through the pandemic, a lot of people are kind of rethinking, what do I want? How do I best use my skills, talents, assets, gifts? And what do I want? How, what made you say, you know what? I want to become a certified career coach. <laughs> well, I love podcasts, uh, to be honest. And I was listening to a podcast and this girl was talking about being a I think she was a life coach or lifestyle coach and um, then had someone on who was a career coach. And I'm like, okay, this is how I can broaden what I'm already doing. And it just piqued my interest. I started looking into it. And once I get interested in something, there's no stopping me. Well, it's great. So you're, so with, I mean, maybe in the context of, well, could you define like the, Typical. I mean, it's a strong word, but the typical sort of AEC professional um, that you work with, interact with. I mean, kind of the portion of the industry, you know, sector, years of experience, their interests. Like, who do you typically work with, and and what do you? How do you work with them? Yeah, it's a really broad spectrum when it comes to recruiting. I work with consulting firms nationwide. Um, I've only worked with the county once, and that was fun, Um, but typically private consulting firms, um, MEP firms, civil, A&E, you know, big A, little E, you know, the whole spectrum, and same thing with candidates, anywhere from candidates with one year of experience, which you might say, why would you use a recruiter for that? They still do, and I'm thankful, all the way up to like senior level candidates, but I would say the, our bread and butter is like small to mid-sized firms who can't afford to have a recruiter in-house or an HR team in-house. And um, typically candidates from like five to eight years of experience, because those mid-level candidates seem to be the hardest to find. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, what do you, what do you see as the sort of the scene today? I mean, we're, we're on the, the, the backside of the pandemic. So in a lot of ways, we're, we're post-pandemic. Um, the, talk about the great reshuffling or the great resignation. Is is that real? How do you see things? What does the landscape look like? Um, and how how is it different today than it was, you know, over the few years ago before the pandemic or even over the, your 13 years of experience? Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, you know, thinking back the few years before the pandemic, recruiting was tough for firms. I think it was still hard to find, as I mentioned, that five to eight year person who was newly registered or newly licensed. That was always tough. But then 2020, I think there was a dip. We're all at home. We're dealing with the pandemic. Not as many people were taking on a new job because we just didn't know what was going to happen. So as soon as things started to ease up just a little bit, we saw this huge explosion in 2021 and one in four people were leaving their jobs. So I definitely think it's real. I've seen it um, firsthand and I've talked to so many people who have been at their job for five to 20 years even, and haven't interviewed in 10 or whatever it may be, and have recently changed jobs. So a lot of reshuffling happening. Yeah. And, and what, and, and so, and, and just, to, I mean, you mostly work with women, professional women in, in the industry, um, specific to, you know, the AEC industry. Um, what's, what's happening? Like what, what, what is causing um these candidates to say, you know what, I'm looking for something different. Like what's happening? Yeah. I, you know, honestly, I think in 2020, when we were all at home, 
it was stressful because we were working from home, which many people were happy to do, but then you were also taking care of your kids and being their teacher and trying to work. And so I think it just caused a lot of stress, but at the same time in the downtime that you did have at home, you're asking yourself like, why am I doing this? Is this what I want to continue to do? What happens when we have to go back in the office? Can I ever maintain what I was doing before? And I think people were reaching a level of burnout before the pandemic. And then that happened. And now they're even busier and they're understaffed. So if they did go back, they're again, asking themselves why, and will I stay here? Right. I mean, it's kind of interesting, busy and now understaffed, because that is sort of a, um, a an effect of with people leaving, the people who staying are picking up on more. So and and, and almost like making the situation a little bit worse. And yeah. so how do we stop that is is maybe a whole different subject. But yep. so so people are they're they're seeing this the strain looking for maybe a new opportunity, but what what convinces them that this opportunity might be a good one. Like what, what are some of these landing firms doing that is attracting that person um, to come to them? Yeah. The ones I see now that are attracting good talent offer flexible work hours and hybrid schedule. Um, I'll be honest. I'm not seeing many that are fully remote. Uh, I have some candidates asking for that, but mostly what we're seeing is, Um, a hybrid schedule, and that's what people want, a great office culture. So they're working with people they want to work work with that they like. And then, you know, they're walking the walk, talking the talk. So what they see online is who they are in person. Um, And then they gel with the office policies. You know, a couple months back, we're trying to figure out if you know, the vaccine mandate was going to be, that was going to be required for everyone and what was going to happen there. And we saw people leaving their positions because they either didn't want to get vaccinated or they didn't want to go back in the office. So it's been so many things. I do think it's been hard on leaders (laughs) who are running firms and having to make all these decisions. Right. Absolutely has been hard on leaders. But the more the more we know, the more we take time to understand that the more as as a leadership team, as as a manager, as a team leader, we'll be able to respond and not just make assumptions. And so that I mean, Mm -hmm. that's I for many reasons. I mean, that's one that I really appreciate your insight. And so, I mean, you mentioned a few things, you know, with flexibility and and office culture. Are are there have you seen like there's a firm list of these are sort of have to haves as I'm, you know, I've made the decision that I'm going to leave or I'm considering leaving. And maybe I want to talk to you about maybe how to make stay, but whether I leave and go to a new organization or whether, you know, I I talk to you and and get different perspective and decide to stay. Do you see in that five to eight year professional um, woman engineer, women architect, professional, these are the list of have to haves and these is a list of really nice to haves that will cause me to either stay or go. Yeah, I think if people are looking to make a change, money always talks. So typically they're looking for an increase in pay. Um, I've seen some women who actually want to work reduced hours and if their firm's not letting them, they're open to seeing if there's another firm that will let them work 30 hours a week and still have full benefits. Um, having a hybrid schedule or flex hours, and then a a career path that's laid out. So they know, A, they can move up. 
And B, if they're in a position of management, you know, will they have support and what does that look like? Right. And, and how, I mean, are, I guess that, do you find that women who have a position now, are they having these conversations with their, with their leaders and managers and then getting sort of snuffed? Or is it an environment where I'm not even going to ask because there's no way, or they just sort of, well, I kind of know what the answer is, even no matter what they say. So I'm going to go somewhere else. I mean, how do you like break into the dynamics of some of the firms from your direct feedback and experience? Yeah. um, Again, it's a broad spectrum. I mean, some feel like they can't ask and they're better off just leaving. They think it'll never change um, at their firm. Um, So they're looking for a more progressive firm with better culture and mentorship and flexible hours, Um, you know, but others are going to their superiors and asking for change and they're promised it's coming or will come. But, you know, how long are you going to wait? And I guess that's the question. And are they actively doing anything about it? You know, if you need support staff, are they actively hiring and recruiting? How are they handling that? Or, you know, whatever it may be, like, what are they doing about it? Right, right. So I'm kind of assessing the actions present, past, and likely right. to move forward and, and making yep. a value judgment on that. Well, in terms of, you know, how did, how how today are candidates, prospects, existing employees, I mean, how are they making an assessment of whether a firm is, is progressive. Like, is there, I mean, there's obviously word of mouth, you know, there's a little, well, there's a lot, there, there's word of mouth. I have a friend in another organization, there's mm-hmm. digital presence, social media, glass door, all yeah. of that. Like, how, how do, where do you think people are getting their information on how progressive a culture is to then say, you know what, I'd like to reach out to talk to them. Yeah. Um, you know, AEC, it's a small world. And I do think everybody talks, especially within companies. Um, but I would say knowing someone at another firm or, or someone you trust at another firm and listening to what they have to say and their advice kind of trumps everything else. People will go to Glassdoor and read reviews. That's real Um, People look at the social media, but if they have a friend at a company who has told them, "Eh, I don't think you want to come to work here, uh, we're going through some changes, or I'm working 18 hour days, you know, and I have been for a couple months, you know, they're going to tell the truth because they're looking out for the person that they're talking to. So. I, and I, I do want to talk about networks because I, you know, I think overall we're moving away from hierarchies and the power is in networks and ecosystems. Mm-hmm. And you just gave a great example of, of the network and the power of that versus you know, anything else. Um, but you, in our previous conversations, you've mentioned that um, in general, women might be interested in, in a non-linear path, um, but also want career progression. Can you just like unpack that a bit? What does that look like when you thinking like, you know, a nonlinear path is, is an option here, or maybe even something preferred? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that women necessarily seek out a nonlinear path, but it seems to just happen. And I think you and I touched on this last time we spoke, you know, if you've got a spouse, who's a professional, whose job is secure, maybe that gives you the ability to make a change and go into something else if you want. So that's great. Um, I also think it becomes nonlinear with all the women that I've spoken to, because 
they have kids or the industry hit a recession. Um, but I do think it's really important to be open-minded about career opportunities. Like, you know, you could start off in architecture and then transition into real estate development. You know, your career can progress and you can pivot. And I think it just takes paying attention to what you want to do, what works with, with your life and, you know, where your interests are and you can change your mind. You can decide you want something different. And from an organization, providing flexibility for some of that to happen and having these open discussions. I mean, there is the, you know, particularly the younger generations, you know, 35 and under the idea that, you know, the career ladder doesn't, it, it, it's kind of broken and it's a, sure. about a jungle gym and we want a lot, you know, a lot of different experiences and how do we provide that? And we can't just, it's not this step and this step. And if not, then if you're off the ladder, you're out of here. You know, this is a whole different thing. We, you have also mentioned that there's an increase um, or a desire for entrepreneurship in, when you're discussing with women or women in general. And maybe that's a generational thing. So I know that the generations coming up now are more interested in, in entrepreneurship for other reasons. But do you think, what, I guess, could you talk to the desire for entrepreneurship and, and how that is expressing itself in your conversations and coaching discussions? Yeah, you know, I think throughout the ages, women have looked to self-employment as a means to not only support their families, but also kind of create their own work environment um, that allows them to raise their families, contribute to their communities. They can kind of shape how it looks and feel like they're making a difference. And that's the main reason I see women stepping out into that. And I think, you know, I've gone through this myself. You reach an age where you're like, okay, what am I doing long-term? Like what kind of legacy am I trying to leave for, you know, my kids and what do I want to be known for and remembered for? And is it just sitting behind a desk working for someone else, which if it is, that's great. But if it's not, then take actions to change it because life is short. And what do you, I mean, you know, these are conversations that someone could have with their supervisor. I have aspirations and, and there is this, you know, there's been a, a moving desire for side hustles, right? Not just, mm -hmm. you know, this and, and it doesn't, it, it could be, I'm a photographer on the side. You know what I mean? Like I have other right. goals and talents. It's not like I'm moonlighting and doing some, you know, calculations over here for somebody else. <laughs> it's these others, but how do you, how are you seeing people's interests? I mean, it might be already expressed in your entrepreneurship, but are people actively like, having side gigs? And is that part of some active discussions with a firm like, hey, I, I want to be involved with this too. I hope you're okay with it. And by the way, this is enhancing my management and leadership skills that right, I would apply exactly. on the job. Yeah. I think um, especially for millennials, younger generations, it seems like almost everybody has a side hustle. And I think as long as it's not interfering with your full-time job, you know, again, it allows them to express a different side of themselves as you just stated, it might be a way for them to grow more, you know, as a professional. So I'm, I'm definitely seeing that. And I don't, I don't think you can ask someone not to have a side hustle, you know, it's just additional security. Right. Well, I, and recognition, recognizing that that's reality, I guess, have you seen any firms embrace it? saying, you know, we we understand that you might be interested in that and, and we're okay with it. I mean, do, do you, or is it, just don't mention it. And we know it might be going on, but we don't want to bring it up. And I mean, how progressive are any firms in talking about that or candidates in bringing it up with firms? I think candidates will bring it up. And I think it's more of a conversation like, oh, it's fine. As long as it doesn't interfere with your job. I haven't seen 
myself, I haven't seen companies embracing it. Maybe it's happening, but I think it falls more into that second camp. Like, okay, well, we don't care as long as it doesn't affect what you do here. As long as it's not, you know, taking away from your work and you're not poaching our clients for your, your, your side gig. I mean, a whole not that, that it, I, I would suspect in a not too long a future, we're having those discussions and, 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 and in a real way of how to make it work and versus just not not bringing it up and just saying like, well, as long as it does it, which is 100 percent valid. But how yeah. can we embrace it um, and be more upfront and have that deeper level relationship? I, just, I, I see it. I see it coming soon. I do, too. And I think, you know, just as a manager And as a good manager, having kind of that open door policy, I mean, also you want to know the interest of your employees. Those are things, you know, you can talk to them about. So I just think it's good to know and to be open to that. And I mean, say they breed dogs on the side. Great. (laughs) You know, like don't, it's something you want to know about. Maybe buy a dog from them one day. It has nothing to do with engineering or architecture, but just something that brings them joy. And maybe it's a stress reliever that helps them deal with their full-time job. And it's happening anyway. I guess as as leaders and managers, we we can choose to ignore it or not ask about it. But I think ultimately we're missing out on that engagement piece or yeah. knowing a little bit about what makes them them tick and help support them, which ultimately that leads to greater loyalty and commitment because yep. you know me. Exactly. So I wanted to just also ask about the the mentioned it, the networks. Um, how other than the example of, you know, if we'll get the straight scoop from someone who works in that organization or used to work in that organization. I mean, how, how do you see the power, uh, power of networks today in terms of, you know, before someone reaches out to you, you know, are, are they networking within their organizations to say, hey, are you experiencing this too? Or is it networking outside the organization? I mean, how do you see that happening? Yeah, before they reach out to a recruiter or a coach, you know, I think personally, they're um, networking within their industry a little bit, you know, they're doing some research, and then they're almost coming to me then to say, like, to kind of validate what they're hearing, and to see what the possibilities or opportunities might be. But I do see them networking within their same company and within just the industry in general. So, I mean, again, all these conversations are already happening. It's just maybe as, as leaders and managers, we're not tapping into them or we haven't built the relationship enough to tap into them, but they're happening. Yeah. Yep. I think, you know, as a manager too, you've got to have an open door policy. You've always got to be asking these questions. And especially now you can't not talk to someone on your team for a month or two and then just expect everything to be fine. If you're not talking to them on a regular basis, you have no idea. Why do you think people don't talk to their team more often? I think they get busy. And then honestly, I think they're afraid of what they might hear. You know, it's like, okay, well, it'd be better to know if this person's looking around instead of you hearing from another firm or finding their resume online and then deciding to let them go. Like, Start talking to them about it. See if they're happy. See what you can do and have those conversations before it gets to that point. And, and really, I mean, fundamentally, I mean, the, the power to grow and advance a relationship 
um, or the responsibility to grow advanced relationship, it really is the, with the person in power, because sometimes it really is intimidating. I mean, there are some people who will reach up into the power rankings and say, hey, I want to talk to you about this. Yeah. But if the person with power has that open door or invites the conversation, it's much more likely to happen. And 100%. And if you're, you know, having meetings, and you've got two or three people who don't typically speak up, you know, ask for their opinion, ask them questions, invite them into the conversation, not, you know, not everyone's an extrovert. Also, when young people come on board, they might feel like they don't have anything to offer. I, you know, I think this is a common theme with women too. not speaking up, not asking the right questions and just listening. So I think as a leader, you know, it's your job to make sure you are hearing from those people who don't necessarily speak up in every meeting. Well, there was a recent McKinsey article, recent, I mean, a few months old now, that um, was, okay, here's what employees across industries, kind of across the world are saying, the reason why they're leaving their jobs. And then here's what employers say. And the employers mm-hmm. were focused on the more the transactional parts and the employees we're saying it's more the relational parts and the study paraphrasing a little bit here, but basically it's like work life. We all agree. Work-life balance is important. We, we want career advancement. We want training and development. That is important. But from an employee perspective, the top three were, I feel valued by my supervisor. I feel valued by my organization. I feel like I belong there. Oh, and in more like in, in, you know, again, the, the employers were, well, I, I can give you more money. I can give you some flexibility, and which is absolutely important. But the feel, like the the feeling side. I mean, do you feel like in your anecdotal or no? Like the that that McKinsey study sort of is representative in the AEC industry, particularly with women. It's being valued, and do I belong here? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think you bring up a good point. Um, you know. As a leader, you can tell someone they're important. I appreciate all the work, you, the hard work you were putting in. You know, the words only go so, so far, but I think if they, like you're saying, if they feel like they're being valued, it, you know, it definitely goes a long way. Excellent. Well, you have, I mean, speak about networking. I mean, I know you, you have a, a Facebook group. And, you know, I don't you know, to tell me anything that I shouldn't know uh, or people would, but like, what is the nature of those conversations? Like who, who's joining the group and, and how, how is that network sort of supporting each other? Or, or what could you share about like the benefits of being in a group and, and feeling like, um, you know, as I aspire to be belonging in other places, this is a place where I can get information or assuming me get information like, but what is the nature of the group? And what do you see as some of the, the benefits of being in a group and having a group? Yeah, so it's uh, women in AEC, and it is still a new little baby group (laughs) that I'm inviting women into when we connect on LinkedIn and things like that. So I would say it's still getting started. Um, I would love to see more um, contributions from other people in the group and collaboration, but I have stumbled upon other groups, architecture, women in architecture, women in engineering that are amazing. And I see women really collaborating and sharing. And they are, you know, some are leaders in the group who are saying we're hiring. Some are asking what their raise looked like this year, what their bonuses looked like. And these are women who don't know each other who are talking, you know, across the country. Um, Some are sharing educational things that, um, you know, they think would be beneficial for others to attend. 
But it's pretty fascinating when the group starts, you know, when everyone's talking in the group and kind of contributing. Well, it's in, I mean, it's interesting. And, and it's like the, the desire and the play for more transparency, which is historically our industry has not been transparent. And there's a right. demand now for, you know, almost full transparency, like open book management plus. And, and it is, is met with resistance. And I get it. You know what I mean? Like we haven't done this. This is brand new. But I mean, it's, you know, talking to different people, you know, especially from the younger generations and who are in networking groups and, and are pretty savvy with this. The information's out there, whether it be Glassdoor or whether for, so people are knowing. And so sometimes if if our organizations are the last one to tell us, well, we already know. We just want to see if you have the courage right. to tell us this stuff. Yes. And, and it means something that if you more proactively tell us, we can trust you more. And if you if you're if you're late to the game and telling us something, or you're telling us half the stuff because we've actually already figured this out. I mean, how did when what does transparency look like? for you obviously i'm connecting some dots here that from other conversations but i mean what because they're learning a lot of things what does it mean if a firm is less transparent than desired mm, it's bad for the firm <laughs> i'm laughing when you're saying all this because i mean i've experienced it firsthand too and people in a company will talk and things trickle down someone says something and then it's a whole nother thing so I think the more transparent leaders can be, the better, because otherwise people are speculating, their guard goes up, they're less trusting of the organization. So I think it's better, you know, I know sometimes you can't say anything depending on the situation, but if, if they can, if there's no legal reason why they can't, then they need to tell the team and be open and honest about it. It's almost like inf a lot of information is a commodity but presenting it in the appropriate context is the goal. Right. You know, yep. because that that's the knowledge um, that can really kind of help the organization is you want to provide context for that because the information's yeah. out there. Yep, exactly. How, um, well, I, as we close this, appreciate the insight as it relates to really, if I'm a firm principal, I'm a board, I'm a leadership team, or even a team leader, if I really, and maybe the demographics are, I'm a male. <laughs> what, what, from your perspective, like if I really want to understand more about what's happening in, 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 in the minds, um, in, the, in the goals and aspirations of, you know, career women, professional women, I mean, is there anything else that you'd like to share or add that would really help leaders engage, um, you know, and retain and, and, and attract women to their organizations? Yeah, I mean, I think leaders just need to be asking questions of the women that are on their team now. How that, can they improve things? How can they be a better leader or manager? Um, obviously, we want to recruit more women into the industry, and that starts with schools recruiting more women in, um, and then supporting the female leaders that we have, too, and cultivating that so they don't want to leave. Um, but I think, again, just that kind of open door policy, asking questions, um, you know, the more diverse a team is, the more productive they are. Um, there's tons of studies on that. So if we can continue to recruit more women in and support those female leaders, I think we'll be doing the industry a huge favor. Hmm. Well, that I mean, you thank you for that. We brought up one thing, and I know from, you know, other conversations with people who really specialize and work with women in the industry. I mean, there is this, you know, whether it's 
two and a half to one, you know, two and a half times to four times the amount of women leave the industry in that time frame, that five to eight year time frame than men. Um, do you see like that demographic, like how of the women that you talk to in recruiting, I mean, maybe they've already decided that they want to stay in the in industry, but maybe this gets into the coaching. I mean, do you see a, a real, you know, credible interested, maybe there's no home for me here. Maybe I should leave the industry. Um, I guess question, do you see that as sort of the, this is a, 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 um, a fork in the road type of discussion. Um, and then what, what might be driving the thought of, well, maybe this isn't the place for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I definitely, as a coach, I see that because as a recruiter, you know, they're typically knowing that they want to stay in the industry and they just need help finding another position. But as a coach, you know, I'm definitely pulling that out of them. You know, here's your, your strengths and your skill set, hard skills, soft skills, and where else can we use these if it's not an engineering, architecture, construction, well then, you know, what are those other things you really enjoy doing? And we really dive into that and look at what their other options are. I would say most women know they've got these other interests. They kind of know what they want to do. They almost want permission to try something new. You know, and I think it starts with um, talking to other people in those industries. What does their job look like? Do they like it? What does a day in the life of this type of role, you know, look like, and does it make sense for them to pivot? I think we just need to ask more questions and believe in ourselves more because I've talked to so many women who either think like, I've spent all this time in this industry. I can't do something else. You can, but you have to believe it first. Or they think I want to go part-time. I know that's never going to be allowed in this industry. It will be because they need you and they want you to stay. So you know, just be brave enough to ask the questions and work with your, your boss and you can see what else is next. Right. Right. And because, I mean, some of the things that in one sense might be, I don't know that I want to be part of this. There's so much changing right now. Maybe this, you're directly seeing it across firms. I guess maybe that's a question validating that there is a lot changing right now to make it maybe a better place to have a career and to succeed is, is that do you, would you agree with something like that or maybe take it in a different direction? Yeah. And I, you used a term last time we talked, um, a returnship, which I had never heard. You know, I think we just have to be open to new ideas. And if it's someone who's been out of the industry for a couple of years, whether they're caretaking or whatever it may be, you know, how do we get them back into the industry and doing what they once loved and make it better for them? Um, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, gaps on resumes because of the pandemic. You know, I'm, I have two kids. I never thought in a million years I would uh, homeschool. And yet I started, I homeschooled for a year, never thought I would do that. But you know, that's what worked better for us with my husband and I both working from home um, was just saying, we don't answer to these, the county schools or the school schedule. We will do school on our own terms. And we didn't fail them. They got back into school this year. So <laughs> hopefully we haven't screwed them up too bad, but you know, you just have to decide what works for you and make those decisions. And, and the, the, one of the real good things about the AEC industry overall is it, it is, it's a very impactful industry. I mean, whether you're in the architecture space, 
you know, creating spaces that matter and are beautiful. Yeah. You're in the engineering space, like all the, the backbones and, you know, even, you know, visual spaces and in the construction, you're actually bringing it to life. Like there's, there's some amazing things and creating real impact. So to the extent that we can keep people and draw people into the industry, I mean, it's complete, it's, it's, it's so much more rewarding, I think, than a lot of other yeah. industries. And so sometimes it's just, it's a, it's, it's a shame. It kind of breaks my heart that people leave the industry for right. things that, you know, are fixable. Yeah. And I think now even more so we're having to create spaces, you know, where it's totally different than it used to be because of the pandemic. So they're creating spaces where people can be more spread out. So there are a lot of thought goes into that. And then of course, now we've got the infrastructure bill. So we're going to continue seeing building there. So I hope people will come back in or stick with it. I think the AEC industry has been forced to change with the pandemic. So I feel like good things are happening and getting better. I don't know that people would have ever worked from home had the pandemic not hit. So it's kind of incredible that that happened. And now we're talking about a hybrid role for a lot of people. Well, excellent. Well, how, as we close here, I mean, how, how can listeners get in touch with you to learn more about you, your coaching, recruiting work, um, and your, your Facebook group, your pod, we didn't talk about your podcast too, but maybe you could share a little bit about that and how we, Lisa, listeners can get in touch with you. Yeah. Starting a podcast was on my bucket list too. So um, I started one late last year. It's wine after work. And I'm having so much fun just talking to women in different industries. Cause I think there's we're talking about a network again, there's a great way we can all kind of support each other and make referrals across industries and help one another out. So that's been really fun. Um, wine after work. And then the pod, the um, Facebook group is women in AEC, a career you love. And then LinkedIn is the easiest way to get in touch with me, Bryce Bats. And um, my coaching website is BryceBatsCoaching.com. Excellent. Well, I'll be sure to put links in the show notes to that. Um, Well, Bryce, thank you very much for sharing and really appreciate the chance to chat again. Yeah, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. Take care. Thanks. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please also share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to continue to get us established, and I truly appreciate that. And it also helps to get the word out to others so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations. For joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.